Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and just a slight correction. Uh, we're not going to have a special guest this afternoon, uh, later in the show. Uh, it's just going to be me and the Coach's Corner panel, uh, but we'll have maybe an extended version, so my apologies for that. Um, anyways, welcome. I'm Ted Odorico, the host of the show, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Um, as I mentioned, we're uh, going to have a little bit shorter broadcast tonight. Uh, unfortunately, our, our guest uh, was not able to make it, so uh, we'll reschedule with the few remaining shows. I think we've got uh, three shows left. We're going to be off uh, all of next week, including the Women of Golf show will not be aired Tuesday, uh, just to observe uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, so there won't be any shows next week. But then we'll be back on the 29th for the Women of Golf and then the 1st of December for Golf Talk Live. And there's just about two or three shows each uh, to hold out in December. And then uh, we'll be taking an extended break, or I will be taking an extended break until um, February, where we'll start back up uh, both of the shows as we get ready to uh, rebook and, and all of that uh, good stuff. So, But I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight. And uh, I'm going to introduce the panel. We're going to get right into tonight's discussion. First up is John Decker. He is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. He's also a Senior Editor and Top 25 Instructor at Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, he was a former Head Instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando and also the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year and is the author of the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes a Bible study. And he also does some public speaking as well. He'll tell you a little bit about that uh, later on, how you can get a hold of him to, uh, to arrange that. Uh, also is uh, Clint Wright, and he's also joining the panel tonight. He's a 30-plus year member of the PGA and one of the partners at TGM Golf. Uh, TGM Golf is a big proponent of the R3 approach, and I consider him to be one of the best covering the short game today and also uh, one of the many favorites I uh, have here on the show, at, uh, especially Coach's Corner. And last but not least, rounding up the panel is Sue Weger. She's a uh, number one best-selling international author, uh, motivational speaker, and peak performance coach, and she's a 24-plus year LPJ Class A golf professional and owner of Weger Consulting. Uh, her book, Golf, The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, Change Your Game, is available at Amazon.com. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank you, Thanks, Ted. Ted. All right, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you uh, for agreeing to stay for the whole two hours tonight. I really appreciate that. I hope uh, you guys won't lose your, <laughs> lose your voices. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start uh, in the order that I introduced you. Uh, but first, let me just read this. Uh, you know, golf is is complicated, and of course, at times, uh, can even be rather cruel. Uh, 
uh, it's easy to feel defeated and discouraged, but uh, uh, as the old saying goes, don't worry, we're all, all in this uh, together. And uh, we're going to talk about a, a lot of different things, really about some game improvement uh, things along the way and, and how we can make a, a better uh, all-around game uh, for ourselves and obviously for our students. Um, so here are some things that really uh, I sort of put under the heading of what do most golfers struggle with? Uh, what are some areas that they struggle with or don't seem to, to really uh, get a handle on? And John, and, and one thing that we hear a lot of, uh, especially for uh, professionals who play in a lot of pro-ams, you'll hear them mention this, saying that the, a lot of their amateur partners in those pro-ams uh, don't take enough club, uh, which is a classic problem. So my question to you is, how can we, and meaning the, the golfer and obviously the professional to help our students, how can we be sure we're selecting the right club each time? Well, Ted, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. And Clint and Sue, I look forward to tonight's discussion. And I know I'm going to learn something from you as well, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, this is a, a great question. I remember, remember years ago I, I saw a study that um, in one of the golf magazines they were talking about, uh, they were studying and, and tracking the trends of players as they were hitting their approach shots to the green. And about 80 to 85% of the, of the average golfers would come up short. That would be their miss. And I'm, that's one of the things I'm always encouraging my students. You know, I, a lot of you are going to miss the green short. You have to be able to, you know, hit the pitch shots or the chip shots to get it up and down and, or bunker shots depending on the case. But the biggest reason why that people under club is a lot of it has to do, and especially I see this a lot with men, um, the ego of, well, I can hit my seven iron 150 yards. For a, lot of, uh, a lot of golfers out there uh, can hit their seven irons. A lot of the students I have can hit their seven irons, and I'm just using this as an, as an example, 150 yards, but it's their best shot. Maybe it's in a situation where they they did it on the driving range and it was 85 degrees and it was maybe a little helping wind and, and the ball was really flying that day. Uh, but when they get on a cooler day or they get the wind in their face, that's not a real true indication of how far they can hit the ball. And that's one of the things that's great about the simulators and everything now is what you want to look for is the average. You want to look at your average shot, not your best shot, and certainly not your worst. I mean, if you hit your worst shot, you can't really plan for that. But your best shot is not what you want to base your yardage on, especially when you're going over water or bunkers. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure and take extra club. And I always, um, you know, when I'm looking at a green and I'm on a playing lesson with a student, the first thing I ask them is, all right, where is your miss? And if you're out there in the fairway, you've got to know, uh, are you better to miss it long? Are you better to miss it right, miss it left? miss it short in every situation and every golf course is going to be different. So that's got to be important, especially when you're starting to hit longer approach shots. Now, as you get closer to the hole, maybe inside of 100 yards, you're not focusing on that as much as you are, uh, you know, dialing in your distance. But when you're out there 150, 200 yards away from the, from the hole, making sure that you have enough club to either get you there uh, to the middle of the green safely, and you want to know your carry distance uh, to the front of the green, and you want to know that you can carry the ball, not your ball rolling 150 yards, but how far does your ball actually carry? And that's what I love about the simulators. The next thing is, is if you can't get to the front of the green or to the middle of the green, depending on where you're trying to hit it, then you need to lay it back to a yardage where you can hit a third shot, uh, possibly into the green so that you're, 
you're going to be more dialed in. So it's important to know your average, know your carry distance, and uh, I think the simulators are a great way um, or launch monitors are a great way to know that, and that's one of the things that will help uh, the average golfer out there. Yeah, and I'm glad that you, because uh, I was going to, if you didn't, I knew you would, but um, I'm glad you mentioned carry distance. This is something, too, that a lot of people uh, misunderstand. They get out the range, and they're looking at it, and they say, well, my ball went out there 150 yards, but it might have actually only flown 140 and maybe rolled another 10 yards or 5 yards or what have you. So it's important that you know how much uh, yardage that your ball is actually carrying. So I'm glad that you pointed that out, because that's, that's actually important uh, as well, because it's not always going to roll the same amount every time depending on the situation. But if you know how far you're carrying that club, then that's going to help in your selection. Um, Clint, I'm going to come to you on this one, and we're going to get you to expand a little bit. Uh, it seems like a very simplistic sure. question, but you'd be uh, surprised at a lot of people. Um, a lot of folks rush the warm-up, uh, and I'm not talking about a full-on range session where you're out there working on mm -hmm. aspects of your game. I'm talking mm -hmm. about pre-round. There's a warm-up that really, uh, and everybody's different, but really that you need to do how do we do that warm-up? What would you recommend for a student? And, and if you want to do various ages, you know, a, a, maybe a more senior golfer, maybe a younger golfer, what have you, uh, maybe give us a couple of examples of what you would recommend and what's really involved in a warm-up. What's the purpose of the warm-up? Well, obviously, everything I'm about to say, the older you are, the more important it becomes. Um, but John was absolutely correct to just add a little bit to what he said. I do club fittings around the area and whenever a person hits a seven iron and you tell them well you want to know how far it goes and they say well carry yardage or total they don't really ever think about carry yardage as always how far did it go so there, there's mm -hmm. a lot of truth to that but as far as a warm-up is concerned I, I think that there's obviously the physical side of it just getting your body warmed up and stretched and and um, obviously there's so much information out there on the um, right now on the internet about uh, proper stretches and stuff you can find that through YouTube or whatever you like but I think that the older you get the more important that becomes to, to get your body engaged in, in a physical movement um, then I generally like to see a person that, 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 that I'm working with when they go to hit a few balls is simply try to find uh, the rhythm focus mm -hmm. on just a nice comfortable you know, get used to what a, a no tension in your hand swing feels like um, because we all know that when we step on that first tee, you know, that, that tension level, that excitement, the emotions are going to go up. So what I try to do is to get a person to, to think about physically engaging your body for something you're going to do and begin to try to find the lowest baseline you can for body tension and that emotional, you know, nervousness. Go out and relax on the warm-up. Don't you? And we all do it. You see them every day. They go out there. They're going. They're going to try to find a swing before they tee it up. Uh, they're looking for something that they don't have, uh, and they think they're going to magically find it in 15 balls on on the tee box before they go play. So I, I like to get a person to be thinking more about relaxing their mind. Uh, Take the pressure off of that first tee box and breathe a little bit. Find, find a breath level that they can deal with them to, to bring their heart rate and the emotions of their, of their day down. And then they can go out and play and, and try to take advantage of, of what they may have been working on or, or already know, uh, that that tension level and emotional level that they have 
um, may prevent them from actually making as good a swing as they're capable of. So long story short is get your body engaged in a physical motion, stretching, uh, and then try to, to bring the tension level and the emotional level down uh, to where you can go out and perform. Yeah, uh, all great answers. Um, and, and you're exactly right. I think you've got to get the body ready. Um, there's nothing worse than stepping up to the first tee and you're all stiff and rigid and you haven't really done any sort of a warm-up at all. Um, that's right. that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, number two is, again, you want to find that rhythm or your tempo of the day. Um, you know, how are you swinging it? And you want to find out really what, what sort of a game you're going to be bringing to the course that day as well. Are you... You know, are you hitting a little bit of a slice or maybe a little bit of a hook or a draw, what have you? Um, if that's typical ball flight, then that's what you're going to work with that day. You don't want to start tinkering around and, and adjusting things uh, and modifying. If you want to work on those things, uh, do that post-round. Go back if there's some situations that uh, need to be uh, ironed out, but don't uh, do that pre you're, This is simply a warm-up, get you ready uh, for that particular round, and I agree, you, you hit them all right on the head. Um, Sue, I'm going to give you this one here. I think this is a one that will be right up your alley, and uh, and that's overthinking. Um, and I picked this one for you because of your book. Well, because of your book, obviously. Um, but how do we not overthink? This is something, let me just preface this a little bit, and then I'll let you go. Um, you know, this is an area that I think a lot of uh, golfers struggle with, is they get in there, and there's a thousand things running through uh, their mind as they step, uh, you know, over the ball. And... Uh, so how do we sort of calm things down mentally um, and, and not overthink or overanalyze the process, I guess is a good way to put it as well. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just teach my players about what we call a ca- a, 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 the caddy box and the play box, and this comes a little bit from Vision 54. And people, always, people have two sides of their brain. They have their right side of their brain and their left side of their brain, and the left side of their brain is the, the over-analytical side. <laughs> And too many people are standing over the ball thinking about, okay, you know, is my feet right? Is my grip right? Is this right? This right? And they're completely lost in regards to the target. So um, in my book, I teach people, like, what what is the caddy box and what's the play box? And the caddy box, just like we, we talk about, is you talk to yourself in regards to behind the ball um, about, okay, you know what's you focus on the target you think about your distance you think about what club you're going to swing what club you're going to swing um based on the situation that you're in front of and then and then from there we we call it uh, we step over the commitment line and then we're into the play box which means when you're in the play box you have to be on the right side of your brain which is the creative artistic side of your brain not overthinking and that's one of the the biggest issues with a lot of players is they're standing over the over the ball thinking about all the mechanics they're supposed to be doing. Well, when you're th- as you know, when you're thinking about mechanics, you have no shot um, to be on the, like what I call the right side of your brain, which is the creative side. All you want to think about is when you're in the play box, you want to think about just the shot. Where am I going to go? You know, how am I going to do this? It's not about the how, it's the what. Where am I going? Um and that's one of the one of the I would say the biggest issues with a lot of amateurs is they just think too much on the left side of their brain when they're over the ball. So they have to get on the more on the creative side. So I always ask my players, are you visual, auditory, or kinesthetic? And kinesthetic people are people who like to move. People can feel their body. The auditory people um, are more what I want to say 
um, well, in, in regards to they're more they're more verbal, and the visual side, the visual people are the ones that are just going to think about, okay, here's my target and let's go. So I do a, just a very quick little self-assessment to a lot of my players and saying, okay, do you think you're visual or do you think you're auditory or do you think you're kinesthetic? And whichever one they are, that's where I want you to show up in the in the play box. If you're kinesthetic, go ahead and be kinesthetic in your in the play box. You know, you can feel your body, but we don't think about mechanics. It's just about what do you feel like. A lot of the auditory people, um, what I always tell a lot of my players is people that are very, um, what do I want to say, left brain, I will mm-hmm. just tell them, I said, you know, when you're over the ball, I will pick, a, pick your favorite song. What's the song that you loved, that you absolutely love? And I want you to hum it to yourself, and I want you to swing a golf club. And they're like, really? <laughs> and I'm like, yep, just try it. Just try it, you know. And they're like, oh. And I said, because if your brain is thinking more, you know, if you're more auditory and you're more thinking of um, something else, what do you, you cannot think about mechanics if you're thinking about, um, you know, if you're, if you're humming and because your brain is mm-hmm. on the right side. And that's what I, right. um, that's what I teach. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a good distraction too for, for someone that is, auditory like that because you're right they get very analytical and very um you know committed to uh the various steps and and doing what they need to do and and that's okay before um you get into the play box it's okay to to visualize those things and and focus on uh making sure that you're making a good swing but then when you get in that play box it's time to play and it's time to go and you're exactly right and and a lot of people don't know how to switch it off you know switch it on and switch it off and that's something that takes yeah. practice and takes time. So um, well said. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Uh, John, I'm going to come back to you. Now, Clint talked a little bit about this in the warm-up, but I want you to uh, expand a little bit and talk about how we find um, our tempo. Uh, some folks out there have a bad tempo, and is there some things that we can do to improve our overall tempo? We see some players that... Um, as an example, that might see uh, a pro on TV and they say, I want to emulate that person's swing, uh, and that might be fine in some degree, but if you're, if you're somebody that's a little bit slower like a Freddie Couples and you're swinging like a Nick Price, um, that may not work out so well. So what do we do? How do we find our temp- tempo or our rhythm, uh, and, and what can we do to help sort of work on that, build on it, so that we are consistent with it? Well, Ted, tempo, tempo is, um, is the glue of the golf swing. I mean, that is what your tempo is going to be so important uh, in, in your round. And it all starts before you ever, uh, you know, before you uh, walk on the golf course. It really starts in your warm-up. Um, you know, what I like to get my students to do is if you look at, if I were to take all the tour players uh, on the men's and women's tours and film all their swings and then time their swings, and I timed how long it took the player to go back into the ball, whether they're putting, chipping, pitching, hitting a bunker shot, or hitting a driver, it would average out to about a second. Now, some players are faster, like a John Rahm is definitely faster than a second. But there's some players that are going to be a little little slower, like Morikawa is going to have, Colin Morikawa is going to have a, 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 a slower tempo. So there are some extremes, but if you took the average, it's about a second. So what I have my students do is a one-two count, very much like Sue was talking about humming. It's the same idea. 
you're creating a metronome, you're creating a beat, you're creating a rhythm to your round. So what I like to have my students do is when they get to the golf course, go to the putting green and just putt to the fringe. And all I want you to do is do that one, two count and just get the ball rolling to the fringe, get your distance down and then, and then start hitting some chip shots and then start hitting some pitch shots. And all you're focusing on is that rhythm, that one, two, back into the ball. And if you, if you struggle with this, because I get students from all over the world, especially when I was down in Orlando, I had people come in and I would tell it and I would get the New Yorkers and they'd go one, two. And I go, no, no, wait a minute. That's way, way too fast. We got to <laughs> slow that down. And then, you know, growing up in the South where I grew up, uh, everybody's like one, two. When I first learned it, I learned this from Phil Rogers and I started counting and I was counting one, two, and I was way too slow. And I kept coming up short with my putts and I was like, this doesn't work. Well, I finally started realizing after hearing him do this in his presentations a few times, I started realizing that my count was off. So if you're struggling with this, a lot of times, you know, just look at a clock, second hand on the clock, or uh, a lot of times you can download a metronome on your phone and just put it to 60 beats, or sometimes I'll go a little faster at 63 beats, and just, and just get that rhythm and that count and just listen to it as you hit balls, as you hit putts, and you will start developing a good tempo. Because remember, people say, well, how can your time be the same if you're hitting a putt and if you're hitting a drive? With a driver, it's going to take more time to get the club back, but you're going to be coming through extremely fast, and you're going to catch up, mm -hmm. and you're going to go one back and then two at the ball. The club is moving extremely fast. If you've got a three-foot putt, your putter is going to be moving very slowly back, and it's going to be, but it's still going to be going back into the ball in that one-two count. So learning that one-two count is important. You don't have to do it in one-two. You can use words. I have, like, some students with classes, I'll do swing, swing. Um, you know, one of my students who actually played on the P PGA Tour, he, he was a Kentucky Wildcat fan, and he would always get say, Kentucky Blue. So you can come up with whatever you want to say it as long as you say it in that one second. It's a great tip, and it's really helped me. And, when, and, and you'll find out, and I'm no expert. I'm not a, as far as uh, you know, sports psychology and things like that go. But I know one thing. Your brain cannot think of two things at once. And if you can focus on that count, you're going to have less distractions on uh, you know, where the trouble is and, and, and how nervous you are over a shot. You're going, to play, you're going to play it to a rhythm like you do on the driving range when it seems nice and easy. When you get on the golf course, this count really helps you to block out those distractions. Yeah, and, and some great uh, analogy there, John. You know, what, what I think a lot of people, too, struggle with, you know, in their golf games is um, a bad tempo. A lot of times they're piddling around with their grip and, and everything else when that may not necessarily be the issue. It could be their tempo that is just not uh, sound. So that, that's some great advice. Because I think once you find that rhythm, once you get that, that, uh, that, that tempo rhythm, if you will, uh, down, um, the rest of it becomes relatively easy. I mean, everybody can find a good grip. Everybody can get in the right stance and posture uh, you know, with, with a little bit of practice. But uh, your your tempo and your rhythm, that's something you have to find for yourself because it is, even though, as you said, uh, John, it is in that time frame, um, there's a lot of difference when you watch other players 
um, how they arrive at that. Some appear to be much quicker, others a little bit more uh, methodical and slow, as I mentioned a couple of examples. But essentially the tempos are the same, um, it's just at how they're going about it. And I think that's extremely important for players to understand that. You'd be surprised at how many things, how many bad issues they could alleviate if they just had a good tempo. So well done. Um, Clint, here's uh, one that you know we, we talk about a lot, but it, it seems to be something that people don't practice. And you know Jack Nicholas famously talked about this in Golf My Way uh, video that he did a number of years ago. And he said every season when he'd come out, these are the two things, uh, or this is the, the things that he would work on, and that was uh, his fundamentals. Uh, he said, you know, there's nothing worse than a bad grip and, and poor fundamentals. So he always worked on that before he teed it up in the very first round each season. So how often should we be addressing the fundamentals? And what is there, is there a, I guess, a benchmark or a, something that we can do to, you know, because we're not always going to be in front of our instructor that we can do to, to sort of observe whether we're doing things correctly or not and we're getting into that right, good posture. What, what are some examples that we can do to, to make sure that we're uh, practicing our fundamentals often but also that we're doing them correctly? Okay. Um, well, there's, there's a few things you do, but I'd like to add one thing to what John was saying about the one-two and, and what Susan said is I always get try to people to find their rhythm by their breath rate. When they breathe back, mm -hmm. they breathe back. And, and that's another way of the one-two, just using their breath rate. It also keeps them a little more relaxed um, as they're taking the club back. But to your question, um, I think it's very important for the person that's working with an instructor, for the instructor to point out the proper grip, or the grip that they use when they hit their good shots, where their foot position are. You know, we've had some players that, that swing better from a slightly closed stance. Some players swing better from slightly open or square. It's very important that, that the instructor help the student identify their body posture, their fundamental. Because as we all want to talk about certain benchmark things that we see generally, I think mm -hmm. all of us have our own personal fundamental that we have to identify, and that it's imperative that the instructor help them do that. Now, once that's been identified, they, you know, there's a number of things you can use, you know, a, a directional stick or, or lines on the ground, however you want to reposition it. But the original part of your question was, you know, how many times should they do that? And the, the answer to that is every time. Uh, I mean, I, we've all worked with students that have been accomplished players that we said kind of lost their swing. I, I don't mm -hmm. think that you lose your swing. I think you lose your ability to use it, and that comes down to fundamentals. Are they lining up properly? Are they standing the proper distance away from the ball? You know, we all have a swing plane, and we all have a club face. Those things have to be, um, you know, in order. And most of that comes from, uh, in my opinion, is how am I beginning my swing, which is part of my fundamental setup. Is my grip correct? That's how I'm going to manage and hopefully control and be aware of the club face. And is my posture good? That way I don't have to force my swing plane. So I think it's imperative that the student, <clears throat> through their lessons, begin to identify what their fundamentals are, have a clear understanding of that, 
And, and those need to be checked every time they go to the practice tee. And to be honest with you, look down and pay attention on every shot you hit. You know, we all have this tendency to, to play golf a little bit by the clock. That You know, we got to play under four minutes, you know, four hours. I mean, gosh, if we played, took us more than four hours to play, we're going to be penalized or something or another. And we always hear, well, they're on the clock or whatever. You know, you can take your time uh, and enjoy your day and, and check your body posture on each shot. It doesn't take that long. Uh, and so I would encourage people to, you know, to slow down and check it every time. But they, the real beginning of the genesis of what my answer is, is they need to be in identifying through their, their instructor what their personal fundamental is and be clearly aware of that and check it continually. Yeah, well said. Um, no, you're exactly right. I think, you know, again, we're all different, all different body sizes, different body types. And, uh, again, what might work for one might not necessarily work. Obviously, there's certain um, constants throughout uh, the golf swing. Um, obviously, the club face has to be square if you want to hit the ball straight. Um, but other than that, you know, uh, if somebody has a slightly, I mean, Jack Nicholas, for instance, when he putted, uh, and even with his full swing, was slightly open. Um, sure. You know, others, uh, Trevino, uh, others have a, a more closed stance. So, Again, whatever works for you, you have to find that. And, and I agree. I think every time you go to the golf course, even in your warm-up, uh, you know, when you're after you've done your stretching, that before you really start hitting balls, make sure that you you check your fundamentals. Make sure that you're, you know, you're lining up properly, and that you're you're, uh, you know, if you're using a square stance or slightly closed stance, whatever it happens to be, make sure that you're doing that. Put down some alignment sticks real quick, and make sure check those things out. Make sure that your grip and and you know something too that you can do. You don't even have to be at the golf course when you're sitting at at home watching TV. Um, you know you can get a short club in and you can be practicing your grip so that when you get to the golf course, it's going to feel very natural. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do along the way, but you're exactly right. I think you always want to be checking them and you want to find out with the help of your uh, local professional um, to make sure that you're doing. Uh, and finding the fundamentals that are, are best for you. So well said. Um, Sue, I'm going to zap you with this one here. Um, and, and this is one that, that I think, again, going to something that John said earlier with the guys, I think the guys have a bigger time with this. But um, there's a few factors I want you to really touch on here, and, and that is really playing from the wrong tees. You know, how do I know what tees are right for me? Um, you know, a lot of times we, we – go somewhere maybe we're we're playing a nice resort course and and uh you know the guys think oh we're going to go to the back tees and you know we're going to make it uh 7300 yards instead of you know the front tees which maybe it's only 6500 yards how do we decide which are the proper tees what is there a formula that we do what is it that we need to do to make sure that we're playing from the right tees for us well we go back to you know as far as like um, number one is I would go, I would compare it to where you normally play in regards to total yardage first, um, and use that as a baseline. So if you play at, let's say you play at 6,200 yards at your golf course, you know, consistently, um, I would kind of keep it around that. That would be the formula that I would use. Um, cause there's just, you know, and again, the difficulty of the golf course shows up at times too because there are so many different factors when you go and travel and you're playing different golf courses, you know, Pebble Beach, um, you know, you go to Mexico and play at Diamante or you go to 
New York and play New York Country Club. You know, there are so many different factors. But I would just tell um, people, like, when you travel, you know, you utilize um, where you normally play from rather than you don't want to go, you know, stay in it, stay within about 100 to 200 yards within that average um, because if you don't, you're not going to enjoy the game. You're not going to enjoy your round. You know, if you play too short, and some people do at times, um, they play the wrong tees in, in that sense, then then you're going to miss club yourself because you're playing from different distances that you're not used to playing. And um, and that's a struggle for some people because they're like, well, you know, I'm instead of hitting 120 yards, now I'm hitting 100 yards, and they're not used to doing that. So I would just, you know, tell people, like, look at, number one, look at the rating of the golf course. Look at the yardage of the golf course uh, and, you know, compare it to where you normally play from and go from there. And I think that's where um, sometimes, you know, when, uh, what do I want to say, when people come and um, play different golf courses all over the country, they're looking at, what are you looking at? Well, let's look at the, let's look at the, the different tee boxes and look at the yardages. And that's what I would suggest um, people to do. Look at the yardages that is comparable to the where you normally play from because then you're, normal, you're hitting normal shots going forward. Um, you're matching up your yardages from, like, from the tee box to the fairway, from the fairway to the green, uh, rather than, you know, not knowing where you're going to be at from different shots because your yardages are always going to be off if you're playing from what I want to say too close or even too far away. So that would be my answer. Yeah, and I think also, um, and again, this is going to be uh, parallel with what you're playing at your course. I mean, maybe you're playing the wrong tees uh, at your home course, too. If you're struggling to mm-hmm. even make par, I think, in any round yeah. at your home, uh, home course, then you might want to, you know, if you're playing from the back tees, let's say, um, at your home course and you're struggling to even make par most of the time, mm-hmm. then you might want to step it up and move forward a little bit there. And I think, you're, but you're Absolutely. exactly right. I think if you're, you know, if you're playing comfortably at your home course and, 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 uh, you know, you're not, um, you know, struggling to make par all the time, uh, and, and certainly giving your chance, uh, self some chances for birdies and, and other, uh, eagles and things like that, um, then I think you're, 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 you're pretty set. Um, but I think what happens is, again, the ego comes in. And I think also, too, I don't know what it is, but I find that um, sometimes when people go to, especially a nice resort course where they're obviously uh, the expenses are a little bit more and they're thinking, well, gosh, I'm paying a hundred and something dollars for this round. I'm going to get as much of the golf course in as I can. So they're going to play the back tees <laughs> thinking that they're going to get as right. many yards <laughs> as they can. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> they're getting they're getting too many yards in in the wrong uh, aspect. They're they're all over the place and right. and uh, not just you know too far and too close, but they're left and right and so on and so forth. So, uh, but yeah. that well said. I, I agree. I think you have to sort of find what's comparable to what you're used to playing at home, and that way the yardages are going to be relatively consistent overall. Um, mm-hmm. John, here's here's one I'm going to come back to you on, and that is not committing to the shot. How do we build confidence in our game to feel good about our decision? So, you know, here we are. We've got a shot to the to the green, um, but we're kind of, you know, flipping back and forth between clubs and not sure what we if we should be laying up. And so, we're, a lot of thoughts going through our mind. What's the best shot for us here? 
So what can we do to give us some a little boost of confidence uh, that when we get out there, that when we make a decision, we're going to feel good about it? Well, Ted, this is really, I think this part of the game is what separates the, the as I say, the men from the boys, uh, um, you know, on the golf course, and that is being able to commit to your shot. And I've always said, and I do this a lot with, it seems like a lot with my teenagers when I go out there, junior golfers on the golf course, um, I, I always say to them, I would rather you commit to the wrong shot than not commit to the right shot. Because if you're not committing to the right shot, you might as well you're 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 done before you even take the club back. You're most likely uh, going to hit a poor, you're going to make a poor swing because you're not you, there's no commitment and commitment is what um, you have to have and and in in any shot and it's amazing um, you see some players out there on the course that maybe don't technically have great golf swings. Uh, but they get it around the golf course because they know what they're doing. They're no, they know what they're capable of doing, and they play to what they're capable of doing. They don't try to do something they're not capable of doing. And knowing your game, knowing what you can and can't do, is it takes a lot of experience. And so the, the, I believe that the way you gain experience is, you know, when you go out there on the golf course, obviously you're experiencing it when you're in a tournament for the first time or whatever. But it's having the ability after the round to go back over your round and grade every shot, every hole that you played, what did I do well, what did I not do well, and then learn from that. And you're going to – we can all pick apart our rounds no matter how – even if we have our best round, there's always a shot or two where you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, was I committed on that shot? You know, I was debating between an eight and a seven, and I, I went with the eight, and I should have hit the seven. You know, those we can second-guess ourselves till we're blue in the face, but – when you're done, do this after the round. Don't start second-guessing yourself during the round. After the round, being able to sit down with your instructor is a helpful way to do it. And just basically, and I've done this with students before, where the first half hour of our hour lesson is just going over their round, what they did well, what they didn't do well. And I think that's very important uh, in learning. And then what you have to be able to do is, is when you get back in that situation is you have to say, okay, last year when I was in this situation, I had this shot and I chose this club and it didn't work. I'm going to go a different route this time. And having a game plan from there I think is big in the commitment. Yes, having a good golf swing, it's a lot easier for Tiger Woods to commit to his golf shot because he has a really nice golf swing than it does for someone who's maybe a 36 handicapper. But commitment – comes from being able to do it on the driving range, then being able to do it on the golf course, and then being able to do it under pressure. And those three levels of commitment can only be achieved through practice, through instruction, uh, some instruction, and also um, I feel like being able to look back on your round, assess what you did and didn't do well, and know what you're capable of doing. Yeah, again, well said. Yeah, you have to you have to be able to um you have to be able to look at what you've done and what you've done well as well as maybe some areas that you've struggled with and treat them as a learning experience. Add them to your repertoire. Say, "Okay, you know, I'm I'm really chipping well today and and I really feel good. My my chipping stroke is good or my pitching uh, you know, stroke is good, what have you, my putting you know, some part of your game that's really good, and, and you lock that in the vault, and you say, okay, this is what I know I need to do each time when I come out here. And that helps to build confidence. Um, and 
you know, obviously working on your game and doing different things, um, you know, on the practice tee is, is going to help. Um, but, yeah, you've, you've got to be committed because, you know, we see um, a lot of amateurs do this. They get out there, they're, you know, indecisive what clubs to play. They don't know uh, what shot to play. And they're second-guessing themselves constantly because they don't have confidence in their golf swing. And then it just it gets to a point where it's a back and forth all the time. And then it just steadily gets worse as the round goes on because it, because they're not able to, to be confident on this particular shot and it doesn't maybe come off the way they hoped it was, the next time they're faced with a similar situation, they're going to second guess and maybe do something completely opposite and it may not work as well or it may. But, you know, again, you have to have consistency in your golf swing and you have to be willing to commit to the shot. So great answer. Um, Clint, this one I think is is definitely going to be one up in your alley. Uh, You know, we've hit a great drive right down the middle of the fairway, great approach shot. Uh, on the green, only to leave our putt well short of our uh, intended target. Um, is it as simple as just hitting the ball further, or how do we? What do we do to make ourselves a more consistent putter so that we're not leaving uh, these putts short all the time? Well, uh, Ted, yeah, that, we've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. again, before we answer, make a, a, a small um, addition to what John was saying. I think before you can have a lot of commitment, uh, which everything you said was accurate, you, you have to have clear intent on what you're going to do. And, and I think I really like what he said. You know, you know, have intent. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. But you got to make up your mind what you're going to do uh, before you get over to try to be committed to making that shot. And and I think this plays into to what you're talking about as far as lag putting. You know, you leave it four feet short from 30 feet. Well, I think that most people I deal with go out on the golf course with a tremendous amount of information about everything except for the putting surface. They know how far they hit their seven iron. They know how far they hit their pitching wedge. You know, they got all this data, but they have no clue how far the ball is going to roll today on the green. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked about it many times about before they go out and play, I, I see people every day, and y'all do too, they go out on the putting green, and they're hitting four and five footers, and they think they're accomplishing something. But they're really not, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is that they're they're not developing any sense of what the green's going to do today. Um, I, do the, I play a golf course pretty much all the time, and I do this every time I go out to play because I want to know from day to day, what the difference in the speed of the green is. So I've established it myself, uh, and you can establish any of these benchmark strokes that you want. You can do one, two, three. I use three. I have a benchmark stroke that I use, how far I take the putter back. Uh, One is just, you know, inside my right foot, one on my right foot, and one on the outside. And I make those putts every day as I go out to play, and I I use that data to know, okay, if I take the putter back to the inside of my right foot and just let it, the putter make its way back to the ball, the ball's going to roll 8 feet, maybe, 10 feet, whatever the green condition is that day. And then the next one rolls out another 2 feet or so, and the next one rolls out another 2 feet or so. I have that data now to know that if I take the putter today on flat ground and I take it back outside my right toe, the ball's going to roll 27 feet. 
Now that's data that I can use the same way I use the information I have about how far I hit a seven iron because, you know, we know that going uphill the ball won't travel as far and if we're going downhill it'll travel a little further. Same thing in putting. The biggest problem that most people have is they don't have that same understanding and data when they got a downhill, you know, 25-footer. But if I've got that information about what flat ground is, I know now that if I got a 25-footer and my outside my right foot pros on flat ground 27, then I might need to be more on my toe, not outside it, to get proper distance. Because most three putts are generated and caused not because you missed a three-footer, it's because you had one. You know, you the lag putting, the roll the putt in. You know, and I always ask the people I'm working with, I lay a, a, a yardstick, and we've all done this. You lay a yardstick or something out there that gives them some idea of how far it is from three feet from one side of the hole to the other, and ask them, can you hit that ruler or that stick from 30 feet? And they're going to look at you, well, yeah. So then what's the problem with, there's no problem with direction then. Because you're telling me you can roll it within 18 inches of the hole on either side, and you're three-putting four times around, then it must be you don't have any sense of speed. And they walk on the first green without absolutely having any data or knowledge about how the green actually is rolling from 30 feet. Now, you see people out hitting longer putts on the putting green, but they're not ever going to have that putt again. Okay. So they need to be able to establish some benchmark strokes each day because the greens change. One day the green superintendent rolls the greens, the next day he doesn't. There's going to be some disparity in, in speeds there. So I, would, I encourage all of my students, take five minutes, get that benchmark stroke for the day, and use that information when you go out. And you're not going to have a 27-foot on flat ground. That's not what we're trying to achieve. What we're trying to achieve is for you to have a some baseline of data and information for that day that you can utilize to make a decision. You still have to choose. You still have to have a sense of speed and feel, but at least this way you're going to have something to work with, okay? Not, yep. not just guessing, okay? And so, therefore, we lean into this intent. When you get up over that 20-footer, you need to have a clear intent on what, you, what you're going to do You've rehearsed it, not practiced it. You've totally rehearsed what you intend to do, and then you step up and perform. You know, I always equate it to if we're going to do a play. We're not going to practice. We're going to practice the play many times. We're going to rehearse it once, and then we're going to go and perform the rehearsal. We're not going to perform the practice. Right. Okay? And so, all right, so... Um, because, you know, we don't want to perform practice. We want to be able to perform at the moment under pressure. And we talked about this many times. How do you play better under pressure? Well, I think that you have to quiet the mind, as Sue's talking about. You have to quiet the mind to where the brain can work, and, and therefore you can have a clear intent. You've rehearsed what you want to do, and now you're performing, not creating. And once you start having a guesswork or not question yourself, and you're starting to create something at the moment of impact, you're, you're not going to be very successful at it. But if I'm performing an intended swing under pressure, 
I think I'll end up being more successful doing that. So the the whole idea with speed and stuff, I think that people go out with no data to work with, and uh, they're just guessing every time they draw it back from 30 feet. So get the data, give yourself something to work for, rehearse what you want to do, clear intent, and perform, and it'll get better. Very well said, Clint. Um, no, you're, you're exactly right. I, I think a lot of times – you know, we see the same thing. I, I think all of us see the same thing that, that you mentioned earlier is people go out and hit some short putts and, and uh, you know, maybe do a few lag putts and that, but they're not really establishing a baseline, as you said. They're just sort of testing the, the greens a little bit, but they're not really uh, establishing the, those baselines. And I think you're, you're exactly right. You have to have something to work with when you go out there. And, um, and again, you know, other factors come into it as well. Maybe one day you're playing and, and we've had a lot of sun and the, and the course has dried out a little bit. Um, maybe another day you've had uh, a couple of days of rain so that the, the greens are, are a little right. wet and damp so they're, they're not going to roll quite as, as, as fast as what they might. Uh, uh, so, you know, again, it's important to go out and, and draw those baselines each time you go out and play sure. um, because, again, the, the speeds are going to change. Um, and I found that out uh, earlier this year when I went up to Pinehurst because, you know, yeah. I got out there and, you know, got a number two, uh, you know, uh, number two course, and uh, I was surprised. You know, I should have, I should have listened to this tip uh, and done what, yeah, done just that okay. before I went out, <laughs> went out and played. I should have gone back to some earlier uh, it, shows and, and replayed it, that and it, done it. But experience is a great teacher. That's all. Experience <laughs> is a great teacher. I agree. Um, see, I'm gonna come back uh, on this one here. This is one too that uh, this is really involves more of the mechanics of the swing um, uh, and, and, and performing uh, parts of the swing properly. And we heard that, hear the term hanging back, uh, where we're not really getting to our forward foot. So for right-handed golfers, we obviously want to get on, onto our front leg, which is our left leg, um, as we come through and strike through the ball. Um, so how do we groove a better weight transfer? What are we doing wrong, first off, typically, um, based on that information? Uh, in other words, we're wanting to avoid that dreaded reverse pivot. So what are we doing um, that's, that's causing that, and what can we do to make sure that, you know, as we swing the club back, obviously we're putting weight on the, on the back uh, leg and, and on the inside of the back foot, um, and then we have to transfer that. But somewhere along the lines, we're not doing something right, and uh, everything's mm -hmm. getting out of kilter. So give us an idea. What, what's causing us to hang back, and, and what can we do to, to make sure we're getting onto our front foot properly? Yeah, the first thing I always check with people is, you know, their balance, and that's one of the issues because, as we all know, we have a nervous system that has a, what's called a fight-or-flight response, and that fight-or-flight response is going to adjust our body based on what we're doing. So um, the first thing I always do is I, have, I, I, I teach people how to um, balance themselves over the golf ball and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I teach people like the, the middle of your hip should have a straight line down to the middle of your feet, meaning the center of your center, I call it the center of gravity, but the, your, your center point basically. Um, and then I do a little bit of a, um, a balance test with people. And what I do is I just basically tap in the middle of the middle of their back and I tap a little bit over their sternum. And if I can move them around, they are not centered. 
And then I explained to them, is like, if you move around when I'm tapping you, you are not grounded into the ground. And if you're not grounded into the ground, you're going to have some issues when you try to take it back or even when you swing through. And as we know about, I think it's, I can't remember the percentage, but I think it's about 65 to 70% of the people that play golf have early hip extension meaning they move toward the ball because they come up out of their posture. And that's just because mm-hmm. they're not balanced when they set up. So um, I just teach everybody, I'm like, okay, let's do a little bit of a balance test. And I bring out my little balance pillows and I, and I just show them and then I give them an opportunity to stand on, uh, on top of a balance pillow because then they realize, wow, I'm not balanced at all. And then we try to teach them, you know, step by step by step, how how would that feel? And most of them, what I find is there's too much knee flexion in in a lot of golfers because they're trying to, you know, they, I don't know, a lot of people going through YouTube and, and listening to, um, you know, YouTube instructions and stuff like that. And a lot of them come, come and they have all this, almost like they're sitting on a chair. <laughs> and... Right. So I just tell them, I say, you, can, you, you can't sit on a chair and swing because your brain is going to make you stand up every single time. So I just, uh, I, so I flip it and I just tell them, I said, you need more hip flexion than you need than you need knee flexion in your in your golf swing because that's going to balance you out much better. And so we just we you know um, a lot of times I'll have to adjust a lot of people's hips in regards to their hip flexion and how much bending forward they have. Um, but then once we get them in the right posture, then I'll do that. <clears throat> I'll do that little bit of a what I call, um, you know, a push, a push in their sternum and a push on the middle of their back, and they're like, oh yeah, that feels way different because they're much more grounded into the ground. And I think that's one of the biggest issues is, especially as, as people get older, that's one of the biggest issues I've found is is that people just don't know what balance is over a golf ball. Um, so I just teach them um, with we need a little bit more hip flexion, a little bit less knee knee flexion because there's just too many um, what do I want to say clients that come up to the lesson tee and they look like they're trying to sit on a bar stool <laughs> and I just like okay mm-hmm. let's let's change that posture because if you're balanced then you can create um, if you're balanced with the ground as we all know ground forces. Um, you get more energy through the ground up through your body as you make a hip turn. And you won't have that fight-or-flight response kick in. You'll be able to turn and you'll be able to generate more force um, using the ground forces because you're more balanced. And you'll be able to turn through. Um, and as we all say, everybody is, everybody's like, well, I want more distance, I want more distance. I'm like, well, you're, the only way you're going to get distance is you're allowing yourself to be centered over the ground and be able to be balanced as you turn because then you can generate more speed. But most people don't know how to do that. And like I said, um, most of a lot of the people that come to come to my lesson tee are all trying to sit like they're, you know, leaning up against a counter or leaning against a, uh, you know, a bar stool or something like that. And, and, and I just, you know, I just, I shoot a lot of video. So I, I show them the difference. Um, and then I show them that difference in regards to that the center line must be over, you know, the middle of your feet. So we just draw a line. Once we get them in the right posture, we change we change up the entire balance point. And then that way they can generate 
a lot more turn and they can finish on balance too. And that's one of the issues is that a lot of people can't finish, finish on balance because they don't start on balance. And so that's what I do. Yeah, and, and that, again, uh, great point. You know, one of the things that I see a lot, and, and John, I'm going to get you to uh, add a little bit here. Um, this sort of falls into the same thing as what, what Sue's talking about, and, um, but I'm going to phrase it a little bit differently, is we get a lot of the swing in the backswing, and a lot of people don't understand what a proper turn is into the backswing. For instance, what you'll see is you will see um, very little hip turn. Uh, in fact, their their hips are probably turning, um, and I'm not talking in a proper swing, but I'm talking in a bad swing. They're lucky if they're getting 20-degree uh, turn in their backswing with their, with their hips. And their upper body, what they're doing is they're actually pushing and turning their upper body over top of their right leg, which is really not correct, um, thinking that, okay, I've got to get my weight onto my back leg, uh, and then I'm going to push off from it. And that's really not correct. You're actually turning within yourself. Talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that. What, what's causing the swing <laughs> into their backswing? And how can we uh, make sure that we're making a proper turn into our backswing? Because obviously, whatever we do in the backswing is going to happen in the follow-through. And if we're doing it incorrectly in the backswing, then we're not going to transition into the follow-through. Give us your thoughts here. And that's John. Well, Ted, the, the sway is, um, you know, one of the most common things that I see. Uh, and I think, I, I think uh, Clint and Sue would agree with this as well. We see a lot of this. And I think that the, one of the big reasons why we, I see a lot of swaying is because our society is basically one where people are sitting a lot. They're in their cars a lot. They're sitting behind the desk a lot at their computers. And they don't have the uh, flexibility or the strength to be able to properly turn in their golf swing. And so um, I really i am a big believer, especially for the listeners out there, now that we're approaching winter, um, is, is really working, um, you know, look at getting TPI with someone that does TPI, work with someone where there's a personal trainer. Anything that you can do to get your core and your legs stronger is going to help you in golf. And if you have a sway in your golf swing, if you're swaying back, because like you mentioned, Ted, for every action, you have an opposite and equal reaction. So if you sway back, you're going to sway coming through. And that produces right. no power. Uh, it really does. So one of my drills that I, I have, it's on my website if you go to DeckerGolf.com. It's a drill where you take your right foot uh, and you cross it over your left foot. So your feet, uh, you can even do this with your feet together. Uh, hit golf balls with like a pitching wedge or a nine iron with your feet together. But if you really, if I, if I get someone, and, and this is real common with women as well, I see a lot of women who sway because their center of gravity is lower than men's, uh, and so they tend to use their hips more. Uh, so if you will take your right foot, cross it over your left foot, and then bend your knees and hit, hit shots maybe, you know, uh, like with a wedge, uh, it's a great way to restrict your hips from swaying and then allow the hips to turn. Because remember, our hips are a ball and socket joint, just like our shoulders are ball and socket joints. So we want the hips to turn. We don't want the hips to sway. And so the hips, ideally in a full swing, uh, are going to go back about 45 degrees in the backswing, and then they're going to turn completely through in the downswing. You don't want your hips, you know, on the flip side, I get some people who overturn and oversway and overshift their hips as well. 
and that's going to lead to overswings, reverse pivots, all kind of problems. It's going to lead to a lot of back problems as well. So working with a, someone that has a who is is TPI certified, or at the bare minimum, going on you know and watching some YouTube videos and look for hip flexibility exercises, stretching, anything that you can do to make your hips and that rotation stronger is going to help. Lower body exercises as well as core exercises. I think that is where I would start with anyone that, that has a sway because uh, we can all get bigger, faster, and stronger. Uh, I mean, there's not anyone that's, that's too fast or too big, uh, you know, as far as, um, you know, their, their leg muscles and their core muscles go. Being able to strengthen those up is, is very important. Yeah, well said. Um, and, and, you know, something I just want to add real quick, and, and, and John, if you want to respond to this, um, you know, a, a real quick way to see if somebody's not making a proper uh, backswing or they're swaying too much is a lot of times they'll spin out. In other words, they won't get transitioned onto the front uh, foot, if you will, or front leg, and they'll actually spin out, and that's what caused them to do that reverse pivot. If you watch the professionals, if you, if you watch a, a video of, uh, I'm talking a face-on uh, view, and you look at most touring professionals, some of you notice it more than others. Tiger is a great example. What you will see them do is when they're transitioning, they're actually, you'll see them, it almost looks like they're squatting as they're coming through the, the follow-through. And what they're doing is they're actually uh, rotating, but they're actually moving their center of gravity down and through as they're coming through to get that strike. And, John, you, you know what I'm talking about when you see that uh, in a slow-motion video of, of the tour players. It's almost like they're squatting as they're moving forward, correct? Yes. Yes, and that, the best, one of the best uh, examples of that is if you look at Sam Snead's golf swing. I mean, he did that, and, and Tiger does that, and really all the, all the and Dustin Johnson, all the, these guys now and girls out there as well, um, they have, they're, they're using the ground. They're using their lower body. That's where you get your strength, um, you know, in the power in the golf swing is, is connecting to the ground. And, and you know, I wish uh, now that they're allowing us to repair spike marks, I wish that they would allow us to go back to metal spikes. If I was a tour player, if I'm coaching a tour player, it doesn't matter what tour they're on, I'm telling them use the metal spikes because you want to connect to the ground. I know Tiger uses it. I know Dustin does. All those guys, when I was out there in 2008 with, with Bob uh, Sowards, um, I, I was amazed at how many of the players out there actually have the metal spikes because it's something that you kind of forget about. But they've got the metal spikes because they want to be connected to the ground and use the ground to get their power. Yep. And, and like I said, it, I always if you're going to watch a tour player and you want to not necessarily emulate, but you want to see what they're doing, is, and again, you can find them just about anywhere. Um, even your pro could probably uh, wrangle a few up. But you want to watch in slow motion how they go into their backswing and how they go into their transition and into their follow-through. And watch what their body actually does. It happens so fast that you don't really realize it. But there's, there's a, and that's what creates a lot of the lag is because they're actually moving down and through the ball, and that's what generates the power. And the, the arms and the upper body is actually just coming along for the ride. And a lot of people don't understand that. They, that's what causes the casting and it over the top is because they're not getting a proper turn, so they're throwing their upper body and their arms out and across the ball, uh, across the target line, and ultimately across the ball. And that's what's causing 
the, the side spin, the slices, and so forth. So it's very interesting, and I think a lot of uh, amateur golfers would be well advised to really watch in slow motion what the pros uh, are doing. All right. I want to, uh, Clint, I'm going to come to you not so much with a question specifically, uh, but an analysis, if you will, of what you want the folks. We're obviously coming into the fall and uh, winter season, mm -hmm. and uh, for some folks, they may not have the option to play all year round, um, but uh, that doesn't mean they can't be working on their game. Give us an idea if you had some students that maybe um, don't have the ability to go to uh, their course because it's getting ready to close or what have you in a, in a month or so's time, what do you want them working on through the off-season uh, in order to keep themselves uh, relevant uh, and ready and prepared for when they're teed up uh, in the spring? Well, I, I think John hit on it just a little while ago, is that, you know, take the opportunity to get yourself in better shape. I mean, um, I, I talk a good game on that. I'm not so sure I accomplish much of it. <laughs> but, you know, we um, – so, I mean, he's right. I mean, you, you you need flexibility. The stronger your lower half is, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about relaxed readiness and, and upper half is, needs to be relaxed and lower half. So I, I think that if they, they take that to heart, uh, they're going to begin to develop maybe a little bit more leg strength versus arm strength. You see a lot of people in the gym working on arm strength, go to their local gym and, and Talk to a personal trainer to get a program. You can find it online. There's just a multitude of things on, on YouTube and, uh, like I say, PPI stuff. Uh, I, I watch a, a, a group called Par 4 Success, and there, mm -hmm. it's out there for anybody to, 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 to get the knowledge on how to do some of these things where they don't hurt themselves in the process, but focus on what's going to get them what they're looking for, and most everybody wants to hit it further and hit it straighter. So uh, Sue's right as well. I mean, you, you've got to, to use the power portion of your body, which is basically from the your center of the uh, your navel down to the ground. That's where your power's at, and, and that's where the speed's going to come from that's going to get you more distance. And if you can't create more speed, you're not going to hit it any further. That's just plain and simple. So I would encourage them to, to do what the common sense thing would be is to get yourself in a little bit better shape, but also do a little bit of learning. Just mm -hmm. get into the game a little bit more. Um, you know, there's great books. Sue's got a great book. John's got a great book. They're, they're all out there. Um, you know, go to your local library and get on their audio list. Like I, I have a here in our county, it's called Hoopla. And all the and there's golf books on there that that you can listen to in the car or wherever you're going, and just get to understand what you need to do um, to really show success. Now, I don't want to get too critical here about the people that says I can get you 15 yards in two minutes, um, <laughs> but um, I, I think that there's just more to it than that. And, and look look for the real information. Look for the real things that you need to start working on, not the gimmick. Because the gimmick's not going to mm -hmm. last, and most of us know that if, you know, if it's too good to be true, it's probably not. That's just the way the world is. And so put the work in. You know, the best players that, at your club 
and the best players you see on television put the work in in the proper time and places uh, to get better. And if you're in an area where you just can't play during the winter, you're in the northern part or, or wherever, um, look for the things that's going to help you be better next year, better physically, better knowledge on what you're trying to do. Like we spoke a little bit earlier about go out mm-hmm. there with clear intent. Here's what you're trying to accomplish. So you need to know what, what that is. If you're work, you know, living in the Sun Belt where you can kind of play year round and like we are here in South Carolina, we, we get a, a pretty good uh, number of, of winter days that we can play. Um, you still have to do those other things, too. Take the opportunity to get better. And it's a holistic approach to getting better. It's just not one thing. And so get better physically, get better knowledge-wise. But with all that said and done, you just have to put in the work. And a lot we we know now in the north, they've they got some indoor areas. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of places have indoor netting now. Um, Top Golf has got heaters. I mean, you can go do it if you want to. If you really are wanting to improve through this time frame and get better to when golf's played in a comfortable time frame, then you don't lose that much uh, time uh, just because it's gotten cold outside. There's other things that you can you just stay focused on those things. But if you're in the area where you can play year-round, just Go with the same ideas, but play as much as you can. It's a, it's a usage sport. The better, you know, I still believe the more you use it, the better you'll get. Uh, mm-hmm. And so get out and use it as often as possible. But if you're in the areas where you can't play, there, there's things you can do. A lot of the gyms now that we see have an indoor area. Some of them, these, like where they're, like for baseball, the kids and stuff, they, they've got indoor hitting nets in the winter that you can go and, and make some swings. So I'd encourage people to do that. Yeah, I think you have to you have to keep moving. In other words, and you've got to be able to do. There's no excuse. Uh, the days of you know plunking yourself in the lazy boy or on the couch uh, for the winter months um, and not doing anything and, and uh, you know to, to work your on your game. And you know back to something that we talked about a little bit earlier is those fundamentals. Not those are things you can do all year round. Doesn't matter where you are. You can do them at home. Uh, you can get right. yourself a. Uh, you know, a full-length mirror, uh, very economically at a your local hardware store, have it framed up or something, lean it up against a wall so you can get a good visual shot, and just, you know, take a short club. Uh, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, uh, short clubs that you can, you can buy, uh, training aids, in other words, that uh, you don't have to worry about nicking the ceiling, uh, but you can practice a lot of the, the uh, swing, if you will, uh, in front of that mirror and check you you know check make sure you're making that proper okay. turn and, mm-hmm. and and so forth and working on uh, again while you're sitting there watching your favorite uh, movie on Netflix you can be practicing uh, your grip making sure you're you're getting a good grip on the club as well uh, putting uh, most people can even do putting indoors uh, so uh, you know it, you always got to be doing something I agree and and again uh, find out uh, with your pro if he or she doesn't do it themselves. Usually they know somebody in the industry that's TPI certified, what have you, that can get you into a good golf fitness program. There's a difference between just going to the gym and working out. Get into a good golf fitness program and get yourself uh, golf ready for next season. So well said. Yeah, um, yeah Ted, I'll, I'll, let me add one thing. You talk about a mirror. You know, a, a lamp and a shadow on the wall does about the same thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Same uh, thing. You're exactly yep. right. You're exactly right. Uh Sue, I'm going to give you this one here. Um, you know, something that happens throughout the season, especially if we're not playing well, 
uh, we tend to get really hard on ourselves. Um, and this sort of falls into the mental side of the game. Uh, this is something that really we need to uh, focus on. So, again, we've got to sort of change that stinking thinking, if you will, and get in a good mindset. So what can we do in this off-season uh, to mentally prepare for next season. We're going to do some things that Clint talked about to physically keep ourselves active, even if we can't get out and play, uh, depending on where we are. But there's some things mentally that maybe we could do as well to get our, our minds sharp, not just about the game itself, but getting ourselves into a bo- positive mindset. Uh, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I would. the first thing I'd do is, you know, go look for my book because it's all about the six inches between your, you know, between your ears. Um and just understand how you think, meaning, like we talked about before, you know, are you, there's, in, in my book, there's a quick little diagnostic, uh, oh, I want to say checklist to find out if you're right brain or left brain. So if you're too far left brain, how can you switch it over to understand how can you get more into the right brain to be more creative over a golf ball? Um, you know, that's the kind of thing. And, um, you know, there's there's so much, you know, there's Vision 54 that has a lot of information. Um, you know, just to go through and studying some different ways of thinking um, to teach yourself how to change the way that you think over a golf ball. Um, and that's why, I, you know, I just tell people a, a, a lot of the people that like will buy, buy my book, they're like, well, can I have the ACE Performance Journal? I'm like, of course you can. You know, I just sent it to them. And there's some exercises in there to help them understand, you know, how do I, how how do I think currently versus how can I change the way I think? And and that's one of the biggest issues is because um, what we talked about before is like just there's too many left brainers out there that have to think about mechanics, 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 mechanics. And mechanics help you when you're training, but they don't help you when you are playing because I won't say that they don't help you. I mean, you have to have good mechanics in order to play really well. But in regards, we don't want to be standing over a golf ball thinking about mechanics. We talked about that routine, um, you know, from the the caddy box to the play box. And it's just understanding who you are. And if and there are because there's a lot of, you know, left brain thinkers that are that are out there, that's what they struggle with because they're standing over a golf ball thinking about all the things of okay, my grip, my stance, my posture, yada 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 yada. And that gets in the way of being creative. You cannot create shots when you're in the when you're on your left side of your brain. And I think that's one of the struggles for a lot of people because they think they're supposed to think <laughs> over a golf ball. And it's, um, I think it was either John or Clint that said that you want to be, a, you want to be performing. And when you're performing, you don't think about how you perform, you just perform. And that's, that's the difference. And I think that's, that's one of the things is that, um, you know, a lot of people have to learn and like, okay, well, if I'm, because personally I'm very left brained but when I play golf, I turn it off. You know, I just, I, I'll just go over and stand over a shot and say, okay, I'm going to go there, and that's all I say, and that, and then I just go, I go hit shots, and, and I think everybody has to um, come up with their own way of what I'll say, thinking in their own pre-shot routine, um, 
you know, what do you want to say to yourself in the caddy box? You know, what information do you want? You know, what do you, just like when you, if you, like a tour player, when they're standing over there, standing next to their caddy, what are they talking about? They're talking about the shot. They're talking about the wind. They're talking about the club they're going to hit. They're talking about the situation that they're in. You know, is it a good lie? Is it a bad lie? Am I in the bunker? <laughs> yada, yada. Um, and then they, and then they talk together and they, they, then they make a decision. And from that point on, then, then the player just goes ahead and, and does what? And they just make a, they make a swing. And I think um, amateurs struggle with that because I think they think they're supposed to think so much over a golf ball, and they don't have to. And and that's why we we talk about you know the the right brain and left brain with all my clients because I like we do a little bit of evaluation to find out okay are you more left brain or you're more right brain. And um, and that's that's what I would say to to people in the sense of helping them understand who they are first. Because if you know who you are, right brain or left brain, then can you change it? No. But can you adjust it? Yes. And I think that's the big one of the biggest issues is how do you adjust it? How do you adjust it in you know when you're standing over the golf ball? And I think that's one of the re, the the things that I that we talk about all the time with all of my students because it's all about um, which we talked about earlier about rhythm. You talked a little mm-hmm. bit about the timing of the golf swing. Well, how do you do that? You have to be in your right brain in order to do that. And that's what I teach. That's all. Information is a wonderful thing. And I think that we've <laughs> given quite a bit of uh, information to uh, our listeners tonight. And um, you guys did a great job as, as always. <laughs> and I want to thank you for that. It's, uh, you know, I think that the more information that you can get and and process, um, obviously not standing over the ball, but uh, process and and allow yourself to um, reassess your situation as you you know continue your journey becoming a better player. Um, as you know, Clint pointed out, uh, you know, creating those baselines on the putting surface as an example. Um, and doing some of the different things that we talked about tonight uh, helps you to become a better player. And um, obviously, the key ingredient is you got to be, you got to practice these things too. You can't just, you know, pick up a book or you can't just watch a video or what have you, or even take a, a golf lesson uh, and then just sit back and, and assume that through osmosis or something that these things are going to uh, factor in. So you have to be willing to put the, those uh, plans in, into effect uh, in order to become a better player. Um, but guys did a great job tonight. I'm going to go through, uh, again, same order. Uh, John, any final thoughts? And uh, how can the folks uh, reach out uh, to you if they want? Um, what's the best way they can do that? And then Clint and Sue. Well, first of all, Ted, thank you again uh, for having us on the show. We appreciate everything that you do. And, and uh, Sue and Clint, I really uh, enjoyed being on with you as well. I learned a lot from you. And Clint, we Sue and I both appreciate the plug of the book, so we appreciate that. But uh, for the listeners out there, I want to say, first of all, happy Thanksgiving. We all have a lot to be thankful for, and I know next week is Thanksgiving, so I want hope everyone has a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to uh, DeckerGolf.com, and my new website was uh, just started it, uh, this year, and I've got all my videos. got uh, almost 200 videos, instructional videos covering everything from full swing to golf fitness. 
Um, you can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn as well. And um, I'm also uh, uh, writing now with uh, Golf Tips Magazine. We're doing instructional articles and videos as well. And I have a Christian um, golf feature called Fairways to Heaven that's in the book as well, or in the magazine as well, excuse me. Um, and I want to, um, if you are interested in my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, um, it's also now available in audiobook form. You can go to Amazon, Walmart.com, or Barnes & Noble websites to, uh, to order that. And if you're interested in public speakers for a golf outing or anything along those lines, feel free to reach out to me as well. You can reach me, again, on, at DeckerGolf.com. But, Ted, thanks again, and uh, everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. You too as well. Thank you, John. Uh, Clint, go ahead. Yeah, some of the same sentiments that John had there. We hope everybody have a great holiday. I think this is my last show of the year, and it's, it's certainly been a uh, a very interesting year to say the least. We're we're all back out of the pandemic ideas, and it seems the the world's going uh, a lot better than it was maybe when we first started. But um, you know, it, it's been wonderful being on the show with a lot of dip. I've been on with John. I think this is the first time I was on with Sue. We've had a great conversation and. And uh, as John said, we always learn a little bit uh, from every show that we do. And because Ted, you have some quality people uh, on your shows that that uh, mm-hmm. that, that bring a, a lot of expertise and a lot of experience in the game to to your listeners. And and I include myself as one of those listeners when we're on the show. I I hope I listen more than I talk, but I don't think so. But um, it, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to next year. I, I know that we've had some brief discussions on on that for next year, so I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. But again, thanks again, and um, everybody have a great holiday. You as you as well. Um, and just on a side note, Clint, I think you have one more. I think you're on December 15th. Oh, do I? I think it's your, okay. Well, yeah, I'm so sorry. Got, well, yeah, so don't don't say goodbye yet. <laughs> Not yet, not yet. Okay, that sounds good. But I appreciate. But <laughs> okay. have a happy Thanksgiving. For, that though. Thanks uh, for the early. That, that's an early reminder. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Sue. Sue, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I just want to say thanks. I learned a lot from you both, John and Clint, and I always enjoy, uh, you know, talking with other instructors because you just learn from everyone um, all the time. And, yeah, if you uh, reach out to me, you can do suiyourgolf.com. Uh, my book, um, Golf Last Six Inches, is on Amazon. Um, I'm working on doing the audio book like, uh, like John is. So, But thank you again, and, uh, yeah, everybody have a very safe holiday. Um, we're going into the holiday season, so mm-hmm. um, just uh, want to share out, you know, send blessings out to everybody and, Hopefully everybody will be safe during the next couple months. Yeah, for sure. And thank you as always. And, and uh, I know um, you guys have gotten the, the schedule sent out for 2023. Some of you have already gotten back uh, with some dates. Um, so if you haven't, uh, check your calendars. Hopefully everybody will be able to join uh, on Coach's Corner next season uh, on some dates. So just make sure you double check. And if for some reason you don't have it, uh, just reach out to me and I'll send you an, another copy. But uh, thank you, as always, guys, for, for doing a great job. I, I really enjoy this. I obviously learn a lot of things as well uh, doing these shows, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I, I agree with, with everyone's sentiment. I think that you know we have an obligation in this uh, industry um, not just to teach the students 
that we work with, but to help one another to become better at what we do. And I think we do that through programs like this. So hopefully I've done a little bit to help uh, uh, do that. And, and believe it or not, next season we're going to be coming in season 11 uh, that I've been doing this broadcast, Golf Talk Live. So i um, been doing this for a little while, and uh, I think uh, we've, we've got it uh, uh, as a well-oiled machine. But ha- happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays uh, to everybody uh, listening to the program, and to you three particularly. Thank you very much for, for uh, bringing your, always bringing your best to the program. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you guys uh, next time on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Good night, everybody. Thanks. Good night, everybody. All right, that was John Decker, Clint Wright, and Sue Weger. Uh Join me on a special Coach's Corner panel tonight. As I mentioned, our uh, scheduled guest, unfortunately, had to uh, cancel this week. We're going to try to see if we can get them rescheduled before the season ends. If not, we'll have to look at 2023. But um, on that note, uh, again, everybody have a uh, really happy Thanksgiving. Uh, there will not be any show next week, uh, Golf Talk Live or the Women of Golf show that I host Tuesday mornings uh, with Cindy Miller. Uh, we're not going to have that next week as, uh, of course, everybody will be observing the Thanksgiving holiday and traveling and so forth. So uh, we normally don't have a show during that week. But then uh, the following Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be back uh, doing both of the shows. So hopefully you will join me then. And we just have a few more shows, and we'll be knocking off Season 10 for Golf Talk Live and Season 9 for the Women of Golf. So we'll be going into a brand-new season. So we'll be off until uh, the beginning of February. So uh, once we hit mid-December, uh, we'll take a break for about a month and a half as we get ready to prepare for 2023 season for both shows. So hopefully you'll uh, join us uh, in the new year. We'll have some new things to talk about, some new guests, and some old ones coming back too. Uh, and, of course, uh, many of the, the same regulars on the Coach's Corner panel. Again, some new discussions as well that we'll have uh, come next season. But uh, thanks for joining me. And uh, you can always go back into the archive section if you missed any previously aired shows and listen to some of them there. You can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on-demand section. You'll find all of the previously aired shows there. God bless everybody. Again, happy Thanksgiving. Have a great holiday. And I'll see you in two weeks back here on Golf Talk Live. Take care. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.